thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in the desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. Then they cried out to the, their spirit. Sorry, They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He rescued them from their distress. He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good gifts. Others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. He broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous work for all humanity. For he has broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. Fools suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their iniquities. They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from the pit. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices for thanksgiving and announce his works with shouts of joy. Others went to sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast waters. They saw the Lord's works, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths. Their courage melted away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into a pool, dry land into springs. He causes hungry to settle there and they establish a city where they can live. They sow field and plant yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them, and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. When they are diminished, when they are diminished and humbled by cruel oppression and sorrow, he pours contempt on nobles and makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. But he lifts the needy out of their suffering and makes their families multiply like flocks. The upright see it and rejoice. And all injustice shuts its mouth. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are 
good in ways that we don't understand and certainly cannot express. Lord, may we worship you rightly in love, in spirit, and in truth. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Correct us, reprove us, guide us, teach us. Fill us with peace and love and joy that we may worship you and love you well. Thank you for sending your son to live a sinless life and justly take our punishment upon him. Lord, please teach us today through the preaching of the word that we may see you and understand you and know you better. Lord, please take our sacrifice and our rags that we bring you and do everything we can to put at your feet. Lord, please take them and be pleased in them. And please be glorified and honored in us, your children. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God, he is a faithful God. He is an all-powerful God. The God who could and should, in justice, obliterate us, shows us mercy and kindness. Sometimes that's hard for us to see because we're going through the storm, because we're wandering in a wilderness, because we're trying to feed ourselves and take care of ourselves, and we find that to be the dead end that it is. Although, God takes a dead end and he makes a way. I hope today as we look at Psalm 107 that you can see that. You can see God's faithfulness as, at work as you've heard the scenario played out. The four scenarios of those who were in the wilderness, those who were who were, who were scattered by God because of sin, yet God was so good and so faithful as to recall them, as to show them mercy, to show them grace. We get an amazing picture in our worship today. I hope you saw the picture painted of a good, merciful God who loves you and cares for you. I hope you saw the images of Christ, not only crucified, but raised again, standing in glory, making all things new. Last week in Psalm 106, you got a picture, as Cameron painted, of the the situation with the children of Israel who rebelled against God. But it wasn't just just those people. It was us. It was us all. As the psalmist declared in verse 6 of Psalm 106, both we and our fathers have sinned, we have done wrong, and we have acted wickedly. And then he recounts all that they did, all of the things that they did in rebellion against God. 
I wonder if we listed our own things that we have done in rebellion to God, how long it would be and how painful it would be to read. And yet in verse 43, he rescued them many times, but they continued to rebel deliberately and were beaten down by their iniquity. When he heard their cry, he took note of their distress, remembered his covenant with them and relented according to the abundance of his faithful love. That theme continues over this week in Psalm 107, even though it's in a different book of the Psalms. We, that was the close of book four. This is the start of book five. The theme continues and we get this picture of God who is good at all times and in all ways. That's something I want you to experience It's something I believe you have, at least most of you probably have experienced. But if you haven't, I want you to taste and see that he is good. I want you to understand the goodness of God at all times. The context of Psalm 107 is the response of God to their cries. How each time he he healed them and he drew them, he drew them back. And he provided for them. They were scattered because of their rebellion. They were brought back because of God's mercy. The story of redemption is that not the God is not only just, he is just, but he is merciful. He is very, very merciful and full of grace. And if you have experienced that grace, and, and I, I get a sense of it today, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes, sometimes I'm, 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 I'm going through the, the, the singing worship portion of our service. And, and today, it was something a little different. It's like we, we kind of get a grasp of, of the weightiness of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And when we do, when we actually engage with the truth, And we look at the truth in light of what has been done in our own lives. The automatic, natural response is praise and worship of the Lord who has done in us what we don't deserve. But because He is so good. He is majestic and yet He lowers Himself to our place so that through His Son who came here we can receive forgiveness and redemption and wholeness. The psalmist calls us to praise for that. Give praise for that. Shout to the Lord for that. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. That is the proper response to reflect on and to give thanks. And so verse 1 of Psalm 107 is both a call to praise. It is most definitely that. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithfulness endures for all generations. That is a call to, to praise. But it is also... It is also a statement of absolute fact. And I don't want you to miss the fact that in all situations, in all circumstances, at all times, God is good. And I want you to understand that fully. It's not just that God does good. It's not just that God has good actions or does good acts, but he is good. It's an absolute statement of being Though he does good things, he is good. It's his characteristic. It defines him. When I think about myself, I realize that, there's, that I'm not good. 
I look at myself, I look at my life, and I go, that's, that's not good. I'm not good. I can do good things, but I'm not good. Some of you, if you're talking about me, you might say, oh, he's a pretty good guy. It's not true. The only good in me is what God has done. There is nothing in me. I believe what the Bible says when when Paul writes, there is no one good, not even one, in Romans 3. But I also believe the Bible, when Paul goes on to say this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets testify to it. They bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what is true of me is true of you. But what has become true of me can also become true of you. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. It was to put on display God's righteousness so God gets the glory. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That's what we see in Psalm 106 and Psalm 107. The account of God passing over sins, not utterly destroying them as they deserve, but passing over former sins. And it was, verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the reason that the psalmist has anything to write about is because God did not give the people what they deserved. But in his indescribable mercy, he looked beyond their rebellion. Beyond their sin at the moment. Beyond all of their self-sufficient claims and their actions that demonstrate they were trying to, to take care of themselves. He looked forward to the fulfillment of his own covenant in Christ. And he showed mercy to them in the present. That's what we see in Psalm 107. God looking ahead to his fulfillment of his covenant in Christ Jesus. And in that moment, he could pass over and not give them what they deserved because he is good and loving and merciful. His faithful love endures forever. This means his loving kindness. This is that word that I always like to say, chesed. It's in in Hebrew. It's, it's It's a cool sounding word, but it is an amazingly rich and deep word. The loving kindness of God. It is based on his his own covenant to himself. And it's an enduring characteristic he has demonstrated through his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an amazing picture that we get from Genesis to Revelation of the story of redemption. And the song kind of says it right. The story of redemption written in his hands. Because the redemption was all about Jesus. The hope is all about Jesus. The worship and the praise go all to Jesus. And so my call to you today is the call of the psalmist that says, if you've experienced that, give him praise. Give him praise with your life and your lips. Give him praise in your testimony, your walk, your life. 
It is because of the loving kindness of God. But let's be clear. This is not the grandfatherly kind of kindness. Nothing wrong with grandfatherly kindness. But that's not really what, what God is showing. Not the kind that you just run up and you jump in grandpa's lap and he's always got good things to give you and he's, and he's going to do everything he can to alleviate anything. Even with mom and dad say something, it's like, ah, oh, come on, really? Really? Does, it, does that need to be punished? Does it matter that mom and dad were punished for that very thing? But he wasn't a grandfather then. Now he's a grandfather, right? Things change. Can I get an amen from the grandparents minister here? Amen, yeah. It's not that kind of thing, though. It is a ferocious kind of love. A ferocious kind of love. And it'll do whatever it takes to give you what you need. To give you what is best, even if it is not what you want. That can, also, that can always be the case. It can, can quite often be the case. It'll bring you redemption when all you think you want is happiness. It's like, I just want to be happy. I just, I'm so tired of this. Give me happiness. Let me, let me feel content for a while. But the superficial temporal happiness doesn't satisfy your deepest eternal longings. And that is hard to root out. We are a people who want happiness. And so the things that we pursue to get our happiness in the moment, when they are apart from God's will, that's hard to root out. And God's loving kindness is like a skilled surgeon who will cut and dig until every part of that, that foreign body in your, in your body is completely eradicated. No matter how much pain and no matter, no matter how difficult the recovery might be, a skilled surgeon is there to heal. He's there to take care of you, to provide for you. And the cancer is sin. And each of the scenarios that we see in Psalm 107 resulted from the rebellion of the Lord. It could all be rooted down to the rebellion against the Lord, and the punishment was severe. If you read through the Exodus, you read through the account of what God did to bring His people, it was severe, but it was not unto destruction. Instead, it was a love-motivated, purifying process. It's what He did then, and it's what He does now. And just like the Israelites, your recovery may be long and painful, but you will live. You will recover. You will live to tell about it and to give witness and to give praise and honor, redeemed from the enemy whose sole aim is to destroy you. So if you have experienced that redemption, again, verse 2, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give Him thanks and honor and glory that He deserves for delivering you from that which will kill you. But know that once the cancer is removed, once the cause of eternal life is annihilated from your soul, you will experience what Jesus has for you. Once the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will experience life like you never had before. Momentary happiness pales in comparison to the deep abiding joy that you will have even in the hard times, even in the rough times. Even when you're going through the deepest, darkest times of your life, the joy will sustain you. The happiness won't because the happiness is gone. So give God thanks if he has given you this hope. This psalm reminds us to be thankful to God for his faithful love regardless of the circumstances. Even when we are unfaithful and rebellious. 
Uh, you all talked about, second, you're all going through Second Timothy in the Bible study. You talked about God is faithful even when we, are, when we are unfaithful. God is faithful to himself. He is faithful to his covenant even when we're rebellious. But that is something to give praise to God, that it is not determined on us. It is not determined on our actions. So it is a, a call to praise, but it is also a warning, a severe warning or an encouragement that you don't have to remain in any of these four circumstances that Psalm 107 talks about. You don't have to be there. You may find yourself there now. You may identify with some of the outcries, some of the pain, some of the, the feelings of starvation and thirst as if you're dying inside. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to be there. Christ has already made a way and it only comes through him. So, people of God, give thanks to the Lord. Right there, while you're sitting there, your eyes are open, you're looking right at me, but in your mind and heart, give thanks to the Lord. If he has done a work in your life, let this be a time of worship where you are lifting up praise and glory to God, even silently, while you're sitting there. We are participants in worship. You're participants in the sermon because you respond to it in whatever way the Lord calls you out to do so. So be active in this time. Give thanks to the Lord. He has gathered and he continues to gather people from all nations. Verse 3 tells us he has gathered them from the lands. He's doing that today through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to do that through all means necessary. And he will do it through us as we submit to him and we follow him. So described in Psalm 107, verses 4 through 32, are the four ways in which people experience the the discipline and the deliverance of the Lord. All four ways of describing the same event. Right, So it it starts with some did this, some did that, some did that. But it's all the the same event. It's, It's the scattering of the people. And they experience that in different ways. And so it all then comes back to that one thing, rebellion. The source is rebellion. The circumstances are different. So I want us to look at this in light of that, understanding that we all are rebellious by nature. We we want to do things our own way. We want to live according to our own desires, according to our own wisdom. And none of us, even if we've followed after Christ, are immune from from that temptation. I still want to do things my way. There are times when I look at a situation like, okay, I got this figured out. I got this. I've been around the block a few times. I've garnered wisdom. I'm 55 years old. I'm, I'm, I'm now able to get a senior discount in places. Surely I can work this out. And whatever level of life you're in, the same pride can come in and play for you. The same pride can leave you down a road of rebellion, even if it's not open rebellion. I want you to get that too. You can be rebellious and not openly rebellious. You can be here today, sitting in this service, in rebellion, while singing a praise song to the Lord. You believe that? Because you're still doing things your way. You're serving God on your terms. You're following God according to your plan of action. And that might mean that in certain ways you have submitted to him and you're following him. And in other ways you are not at all even thinking about God. I don't even, I'm not even thinking about God's will for my life. Because in those times, 
I'm thinking about my will for my life. And I got this. But it all leads down to the root of rebellion. Whatever you're going through, sin is at its root. And there is only one way through, and that is the loving kindness of God in Christ Jesus. So you'll notice that each of the four scenarios conclude the same way. They called out to God and he had mercy and he delivered them. So let them give thanks. So let's look at the four scenarios and see what we see here. See what we can, what we can discover maybe about ourselves. About where we've been. About where we're going. And about where we are. The first one, as you heard earlier, was in verses 4 through 9. Some wandered in desolate wilderness, finding no city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty. Their spirits failed within them. They were literally in a wilderness. But they were lost. They couldn't find a place of rest. They couldn't find a place of provision. And they were desperate. They became desperate. You ever been lost? I mean, really lost. Really lost. So, um, I need to, I need to get a, a, do a quick survey. How many of you were alive and functioning? You'll understand why I'm saying this. Alive and functioning before Google Maps. Oh, some of you saying that with like, yes. All right, so that's a lot of people here. You definitely understand what I'm talking about. Because like right now, I find it virtually impossible to get lost. Because I got a button on my phone, and it says home. And I, I don't even have to push, just tap the screen. And wherever I am, unless I'm in my own neighborhood that doesn't get a Verizon signal for whatever reason. But when I'm lost, I push that little button, and it, before I can blink, I got a map. And I, I just have to follow the blue line. But there was a time in my life. I didn't have a blue line. There's actually been a lot of times in my life I haven't had a blue line. But one of the ones that really always stands out into me was something that Karen and I got to experience. Wonderful thing about your spouse is you get to experience a lot of life. And you can experience some lostness too. We were in Massachusetts. There it is. See, I knew she was going to be laughing and shaking her head. We are living in Massachusetts and we decided to go on a hike up a mountain with our dog, Sydney. Pretty easy hike. It wasn't that hard. It was a long trail, but we, we made our way up to the top. We're a little tired, but it was a pretty view over there. I don't remember the name of the mountain. Mount what? Mount Peak. <laughs> Cleverly named. So we got up to the peak, and we looked over, and it was pretty. It was beautiful. Now it was time to go down, and for some reason, probably my naivety, I didn't have Sydney on a leash. Is that right, or did she break loose? I just didn't do it. I think I just, it was my stupidity. Anyway, so Sydney, I thought she's a good dog. She'll stay close by. She was a bad dog. <laughs> and she sees another dog and makes a beeline. And so Karen and I are, you know, <laughs> we're looking like Keystone cops as we're like trying to, you know, chase after and catch her. Finally, we do. We've made it down maybe 100 yards or so on the trail. And, um, we're thinking, okay, well, we came down a long way. Let's don't go all the way back up to the top because we know that the trail is over there. And so we just decide we're going to follow this and then eventually make our way over. Long story short, didn't work that way at all. Two hours later, 
We are in the middle of absolute deserted land on mountainsides. We're looking, we're following, we're trying to, where's the sun? There's a lot of trees here, can't see the sun, can't see outside the trees. It's just a mess. Four hours later, by now it's just like, I want to go home. I just, I just, and we're thinking, are we going to get out of here tonight? Are we going to find our way back to, to our car? Because we ain't even close to home. we got a long drive. Once we get back there, we got to get out of here. So we keep walking, we keep walking. We finally see a sign on a tree that says, Connecticut State Line. <laughs> Connecticut? We're in Massachusetts. No, we're not. We're in Connecticut now. We have walked from Massachusetts to Connecticut. We don't know how we're going to get back to Massachusetts. I mean, we know we're standing here. Now we're in Connecticut. Massachusetts, Connecticut. So we can't go back because we know there's no way there. So we keep walking and we keep walking and we get down to a street. And sure enough, every car had a plate with Connecticut on the back of it. And so we're walking down the street in Connecticut wanting to get back to Massachusetts And by God's grace, we actually were not very far. We walked the road and we showed up back at our car and we were like, thank you, Jesus. But it was a lostness that was just, right? It's like, I want to go home. I want to be home. I'm not having fun anymore. I don't like to hike anymore. And I don't like my dog. (laughs) But what's worse What's worse is not having a home to go to. What if I were in the middle of that wilderness and I didn't have a place to look forward to? I didn't even have anywhere I could. I didn't know where to go because I had nowhere to go. And if I had that feeling that I had on the side of that little mountain without the hope of getting back to a place of security, what would I feel like? Because that's where the children of Israel were. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a place Rebellion from God leaves us eternally homeless and there's no place to find rest. No matter how hard you go, no matter which direction you go, up the mountain, down the mountain, over the mountain, doesn't matter. There's no way out except that he has provided a place for us to dwell. He has made a way and that is with Christ himself. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his uh, disciples uh, after the the supper, the, the supper there, they were in, actually, John says, they were still at the table and they have all this conversation that's going on. And, and Jesus is talking about this, I'm going away. Jesus is looking to the cross. It's just hours away. And Jesus is talking about going away. These guys have committed their way to him. They are looking to him for all of their hope. And now he says, I'm leaving. And in John 14, verse 1, Jesus' response to him was this. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. You believe in God. You believe there's a God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I tell you that I'm going away to prepare a place for you? I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am you may be also. You know the way where I'm going. Now, that would have been really confusing because he hadn't told him where he's going. And so Thomas, both doubtful but hopeful, 
says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I think that's a reasonable question. How do we know the way? And Jesus has that wonderful response in John 14, 6. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was saying, it is not a way you go. It's, it's a, or a how. It's a person. Thomas, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. Put your name in there. I will never leave you or forsake you. You will find the way home because I am home. I am home. I will care for you. So verses 6 through 7, what what did they do? They cried out in their trouble. They cried out in their trouble. God, we are without home. We are without direction. We don't have a place to call our own. And the word of God tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you stopped wandering yet? Are you still wandering around on a mountainside in the trees wondering how do I get out of here? It is not a process, it's a person. It is in Jesus Are you ready to call on the Lord? Are you ready to repent of your rebellion? He is ready to save. Why? Because He is good. He is good all the time and in all ways. So if you have been delivered, if you've been in that wilderness and you have felt that and you know that God has delivered you out of that, then give thanks. Verses 8 and 9, give thanks to the Lord. Let them give thanks for, the, for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. That is the God we serve. That is the God we worship. Number two, verses 10 through 16. Others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains, because they rebelled against the Lord's command. Now, most of you have not been in chains. Most of you, I'm, I'd love to say all, have not been locked in a cell, but if you have, I'd love to hear your story afterwards. But you do understand the pit of despair. You know darkness and gloom because you've been there. You may be there. So you you get what the psalmist is talking about. You know it because sometimes bad things just happen in a broken world. We know that. Sin happens in all its forms in a broken world. But a lot of times it is because of rebellion, because of sin, a, ter- a determination to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And so and essentially you're serving your own self, you're serving your own God, and that is you. But you, what, what you may not realize is that the appetites that you, are, that you are engaging in, the things that you are doing to give yourself satisfaction, to give yourself some level of of emotional high, whatever it is. They take over before you know it. And now you're serving them. You're chained and imprisoned by your own devices. And though you never experience the satisfaction you you crave, you can't break free. Have you been there? Where you engaged in something, and it it can be all sorts of things, from food to porn, whatever, anything that you have engaged in because you want to satisfy yourself, right? You're serving yourself. You are your own God. 
And so you want the satisfaction from that, but then you find it doesn't bring satisfaction. It brings brings shame or it brings all sort of negative consequences. But by that time, it's taken over and you can't get out of it. And you're captured by it. You're chained and imprisoned by your own devices. In those times, God will often hand you over to it. And he's good. And he's good to do it. Sometimes, sometimes we have to be fully entrenched in our own sin to recognize it as sin. To recognize our need out. There were people who were in chains. They had rebelled. They were imprisoned by other nations. They were taken captive. And God let them sit in that to the point where they realized that their only hope was not in anything they could do. But was in confessing to the Lord and turning to him and trusting him to take care of them. God will do that. Verse 12. He he. Right? He, God, broke their spirits with hard labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. He removed all opportunities for any outside help or any inside help that they could give themselves. So what did they do? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. He delivers once we call out. If you have experienced such deliverance, are you praising the Lord for it? Are you remembering it in praise? Not so that you remember being chained per se, but in some ways we, we do need to remember from where we have been delivered. And the problem that sometimes happens in our lives is we may be delivered from the chains. When we have trusted in Jesus, the chains have been broken. The chains that hold us are broken. The chain of sin and death are broken off of us. But we get so deluded by the world around us that in essence we pick up chains and we put them back on us even though the lock is not on there. Even though it has been broken by Christ, you can still live lives as if you are chained and locked by your own rebellion, by your own sin and devices. The Lord is there to deliver you from that. But it means that we stay close to Him. We remember the chains. We remember what it felt like. And when we kind of feel like, I want to pick that up again. I remember how great that was. That felt so good. Until the weight actually lands on our shoulders. And before long, we can't get it off. We still have to cry out to the Lord. But we've got to remember our chains. Number three. Verses 17 through 22 talks of fools who experienced the consequences of their sin but loathed all food coming near to death. I've got to tell you, one of the most frustrating things um, as a preacher and as a, as a witness, and maybe you've experienced this too, is to repeatedly convey the gospel, to communicate the gospel, the hope that we can find in Christ. I, I found it all through this summer as we've presented the gospel to people who have not trusted in Jesus before. And to see them, even if I'm speaking to them, 
have a, a blank look or a almost roll of the eyes. They're trying real hard not to roll the eyes, but I can see them. You, your eye twitched. I know what you're thinking. All right, I saw that. Can't hide that. I know because I'm really good at rolling my eyes without anybody seeing them. I just did it. Did you notice? I'm sorry. I'll keep going. Anyway, it, but it's really frustrating when you, when you show the, share the gospel, when you're, when you're giving food that will nourish the soul and they don't want it. They won't take it. They, they insist on continuing eat, to continue eating poisonous substance that will eventually kill them. Can you imagine? God has called them to be his people and yet they rebel and they refuse to listen. They refuse to take on the food that will save them from an eternity in hell. You know, one of Jesus' self-descriptions in the New Testament is the bread of life, right? John chapter 6 is a huge, I know this is, it's huge among hugeness, I don't know how you describe this, but John 6 is huge in the New Testament as Jesus communicates the, himself as the bread of life. So I want you to turn with me John chapter 6. I'm just going to skim through some of this, but I want you to to catch how this works and how Jesus describes himself. So this, the setting is Jesus has just um, just fed the 5,000, right? He's just recently spread the, uh, shared food with the 5,000 people, five loaves, two fish, right? As a bunch of people from a small lunch. And Jesus just did it. And so what are the people going to do? They're going to follow him, right? Because that's a lot of food, you know? That's a, when I get hungry and he can take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed a whole bunch of people. That's, that's crazy cool. So they're following him, but not for the right reasons. So Jesus has, in verse 26 of John chapter 6, Jesus said, they find him, right? So Jesus takes off. They, they chase him down. They find him. And he says, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, but not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So it it filled your craving. You're chasing me for what I can do for you, not, not because of me. Right? That's essentially what he's saying. And he says in verse 27, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. That's that thing. It's like you keep chasing after the stuff that perishes. And you will perish if you continue to eat it, if you continue to consume it. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And so what do they ask? Normal question. Well, what can we do to perform the works of God? Tell us what to do. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he sent. That's the work. Just believe, which is not much of a work, is it? What sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe? They ask, what are you going to perform? And I'm thinking, why did Jesus not be like, hello? Just fed you from five loaves and two fish. What do you need, really? But they're not getting that. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, if you skip down to verse 39, he says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose any of those uh, 
given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, so that you will believe. Verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone who eats of it uh, and not die, will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now they're going, all right, this ain't making no sense. This guy must be crazy. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They don't get it. So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh. So it's like Jesus heard that. He knew that. And so he like ramps it up. He like ramps the rhetoric up more. They were confused now. You know, then watch now. Right? So then he says, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh. Right? That sounds disgusting. It's like, what's the word? Silence of the lambs. All right. So uh, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh, he just keeps going, right? (laughs) The one who eats and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. They're just kind of backing up. Can't you just see them backing up as he's saying this? The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now skip down. As you might imagine, verse 60, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is too hard. Who can, who can keep it? Who can accept it? But Jesus knew in himself that his disciples were complaining about this. Skip down, verse 66. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Now, Catch this. Jesus is not saying that to find out information. Jesus was giving them an opportunity to declare what had been written on their hearts, what they knew. Jesus asked them, you're not going to leave too, are you? And right on cue, Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. They heard the same things that Jesus said, and they heard it differently. They didn't hear it as, this is some kind of weird guy who's into cannibalism. No, these are words of life. You are bread of life. We get it. Why? Because the Spirit had written that on their hearts. Have you eaten of the bread of life? Jesus looking uh, ahead at what he did and the covenant that was through his blood and through his body broken on a tree. Now we represent that in communion where we drink the blood, eat the flesh, which means we take into ourselves what Christ did on the cross so that we would not have to die. Have you done that? Or are you still trying to feed yourself with all the stuff you think is going to satisfy And you're poisoning your soul. You're slowly killing yourself. If you have been delivered and you have had the bread of life, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. If not, it's time to stop eating junk food. Finally, number four. Others went to sea in ships conducting trade on the vast water. The storms rose and none of their skills could save them. 
Now, I love this because it involves work. They didn't leave that part out. Some went to, sh- to sea in the ships. What were they doing? They were conducting trade in the vast water. They were doing their job. They were doing their work. And the storms ra- uh, rose up and none of their skills could save them. I wonder if you in the house today have come to the realization that your skills really can't save you. And sometimes that is manifested in our work. Sometimes that's the part of our life that we don't submit to Christ, right? That's the part that we're doing on our own. It's like, I'll come here on Sunday. I'll worship the Lord. I'll give, him, I'll, I'll give money to the church. I'll give a kind word to a friend. I get to work on Monday and I've got this. I'm in control. This can happen in so many different ways. So many different parts of your life where you take over. But, but here, he's focusing on those who went to sea and they did trade and the sea rose up. There either has come a time in your life and you can testify to it or there will come a time in your life when if you think you've got this and you think, well, you know what? That's, that's a whole other, another part of my life. You know, my career, I've got this. I'm smart. I have skills. I have trained for this. I went to college. I got a couple of degrees. I'm good to go with this. Eventually, a storm will rise up you can't handle. Eventually, you will deal with a situation or a problem. It's going it's to waylay you. Sometimes those storms can bankrupt you. And sometimes, if we don't get to the point where we call on the Lord in faith, He may let it happen. He may let that storm wipe you out, but it is not to destruction. God's gracious, faithful love will save you. This is what happened here, and this is the call to you. So if you're here, you're hearing this warning. If you're here and you're doing something like that on your own, and you feel like, I've got this, hear the warning. Because it could come come tomorrow. So listen again how... It is said in this passage. So, verse 26, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and they staggered like drunkards, and all their skill was useless. If you're in that category... The greatest thing that God can do in your life is get you to the point where you admit and know that your skill is useless. Your ability to save yourself and deliver you is wasted. But verse 28, here's the call to you. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Right? Think think Jesus in the boat with the disciples who were, the storm, it was beautiful, they were crossing the sea. The storm comes up, they're trying to fight against it and it is not working. What do they do? They do the same thing that we're told to do in verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in the trouble and he brought them out of their distress. What did Jesus do? He spoke. Your skill can't get you, but Jesus can take care of it in a word. Peace be still. Or, Be quiet. And the sea calmed. In their trouble, he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for, 
Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous work for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of their elders. Proverbs 16, 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and he will establish and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, how does that work? It's very simple. When you commit your work to the Lord, as in all your ways, when you commit your work to the Lord, now you are aligning yourself with his will. And when you align yourself with his will, your plans, his plans become your plans. So he establishes your plans. And as he establishes your plans, your work will be fulfilled in a God-honoring way. Now, Proverbs are general principles. But when you align yourself, when you stop piloting your own ship, when you give up being the captain of your cruiser, and you say, I'll tell you what, Jesus, I don't know how to do this. I want you to be honored in what I do and where I go and how I get there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit this all to you. And I know that you will establish my plans according to your will, which gives you glory, and I get to experience blessing. It's the only way it works. Anything else, man, you're going to the bottom. You'll eventually go to the bottom. Verses 33 through 42, Derek Kidner describes as an enlargement on the great reversals of fortune which God delights to bring about in the affairs of men. Essentially, what we're talking about here is the sovereign power of a good God. And I just want to run through. I know you heard them read. I just want to run through this because there's a, there's a turning point here. Verse 33, he turns rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. So God has the sovereign power to take what looks like a really, really great situation, a really great job, a really great house, a really great you know, whatever you do, it looks great, seems perfect, works out well, I can't wait to do this, this is going to be good. And in like, you know, a, a snap, he can turn rivers into desert, springs into thirsty ground, fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of its inhabitants. So God can do that. Don't bank your future on what you see right now, if it's going really well. This is, this is good. I got this, right? No, because in an instant, God is sovereign and good and can take that and pull it all out from under your feet. And you go, well, that's not good. Well, it is if you're destined to destruction. If you're heading to, to the bottom of the depths, then to stop that is good. And he can do that. And he, he will do that if you're his. But what if it's bad right now? What if it's horrible and you just can't see any way out? You're in that wilderness and you can't see any way out of this. This thing is never going to end. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. What if you're in that situation? And in your mind, this can't end anytime soon. But he turns a desert into a pool. Dry land into springs. He causes the hungry to settle there and they establish a city where they can live. God takes what looks impossible and he makes it come to fruition and he can do it much faster than we think. Sometimes it takes a while. 
He just wants us to be faithful, step by step by step. Sometimes he does it quickly. They sow fields, they plant vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them, they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. When they are diminished and are humbled by cruel oppression and sorrow, he pours contempt on nobles and makes them wander in a trackless wasteland. But he lifts the needy out of their suffering and he makes their families multiply like flocks. The upright see it and they rejoice. And all injustice shuts its mouth. Before the Lord Jesus Christ, all injustice shuts its mouth. Why? Because he says, be quiet. Peace, be still. So what do we need to make sure we're taken away from this? It's found in verse 43. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things. And consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. If you are wise... You will think about these things. You will dwell on these things. You will do some self-analysis. Where am I? Am I in one of these four scenarios? Has God delivered me out of one of these four scenarios? Have I seen now for the first time what God can do because of what he did? And that maybe what I read then can happen now? If you're wise, you will consider that. If you're not, you'll just keep chugging the poison. You will keep doing that until you destroy yourself. And on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, I beseech you, stop. Stop it. Stop killing yourself. Stop chasing after things that bring destruction into your life. Be wise. Don't just hear and think wisely, but walk wisely. Because the sovereign Lord has you. The Sovereign Lord will care for you. The Sovereign Lord will deliver you. And he will provide all of the wonderful food and the place of being that you long for. So if you haven't, I'm going to call you to trust in Jesus today. I'm going to call on you today to stop it. Because if I say, just think about it, just think about it, then you'll think about it for five minutes and the enemy will come and push it out of your mind and you won't go any further and you'll be back in the same cycle that you are now. So whether you're here or you're watching online, it's time to stop. It's time for a change because the Lord Jesus is calling you. Today is the day of salvation. Repent of your rebellion because that's what sin is. Sin is rebellion. Repent of your rebellion against a holy God. And then receive the free gift of salvation that he gives through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It has already been paid, but it has not yet been applied to your life. It's not been credited to you as righteousness. So today, I'm going to be back there as soon as we start singing this last song. You've got other people here. Grab somebody, but say, hey, I want that. I need that. Today is the day where everything changes. And you can be Born again, transformed, given new life. All of those things that the Bible talks about all comes in the form of the blessing of being saved by Jesus where he becomes your Savior today. Let me pray for us, then we're going to sing. Father, I pray that in this moment you will um, bring about transformation in someone's life, many, many lives.